Father, as we've been singing, we, we want, we need you to speak to us this morning, and we're grateful that you do, and you will, and you promise to, as we look into your word together. We pray that you would help us not to miss what you want to say to each of us and to all of us, that you would shape us and continue to lead us forward as we carry your name in this place at this time. And Father, we ask that you would help us this morning to hear and to listen with our ears, our minds, our hearts, and our lives in a posture of surrender to you. We look forward to what you'll do during this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a difference between being taught information and being shown how that information works. Would you agree? Yeah, okay, some of us aren't too sure. That might be because of your particular learning style. A lot has been written about learning styles. And for generations, it was thought in our parts of the world that if you didn't learn a particular way, if people could just give you information, write it on the chalkboard, and you learned it and memorized it, if you couldn't learn like that, then there must be something wrong with you. When in reality, God just has us wired differently, and there are some people that, that learn like that, just give me the bottom line, put the charts on the, on the chalkboard, and I'm good to go. And there's other people that really learn better with that hands-on, active, show-me-how-this-works kind of thing. Have you experienced that? The, the best way to go about teaching, then, is to teach the information because we have to have it, but also to demonstrate how it works. And then we encompass everyone in the process, and we can all learn and grow together. That way we learn what we're supposed to do, but also why and where this is all going and how this looks in action as we go forward. Uh, for instance, physics class. Uh, when I was in high school, physics was not my favorite thing. Uh, physics might as well have been a different language. And when you put charts and graphs and mathematical equations on the chalkboard and told me that had something to do with movement, I was completely lost. Uh, when you took us out, when the teacher took us out into the stairwell and helped us measure the rate at which things fell a number of stories, well, okay, now we were on to something. And I could at least grasp a few things. I certainly didn't master that subject, but at least it made a little more sense. Maybe you've started a, a new job at some point, and they come alongside, and the people at work, they teach you the information. Here's what we're doing, and here's why, and here's how you go about it, and that's great. But isn't it more helpful when someone else comes along and says, okay, now let me walk you through the day here and show you how this works and how we apply this. Isn't that, isn't that helpful? When I was a youth pastor back in Hamilton, I was able to serve as a high school football coach for a few years, and uh, man, we, we would teach these students, and we'd have these high school guys, and we'd have them up in a classroom, and we'd be doing the X's and O's on the chalkboard. And for some of them, because of the way they were wired, got it. Perfect. Let's go play. For other guys, they would look at it and say, like, is this another math class? Right? It's totally lost. For them, once we started showing them some film, oh, once we got on the practice field and you, you stood with them, and you talk to them about what we've learned, and then you, you walk through it with them a few times. The lights come on, and they start to go, oh, now I get it. This is what it's like. This is what we're supposed to do. Well, that's true in, in welding or farming or cooking or quilting or anything that we're learning, isn't it? We need the information, but it's so helpful to have someone to watch and to, to learn from as we go. Well, that's the same in our walk with the Lord. There's a lot of information for us to learn, isn't there? 
And sometimes we wonder, how are we supposed to function with this? What is this supposed to look like? And it's helpful when we have an example to follow. Well, we're walking our way through Paul's letter to the Philippians, the followers of Jesus gathered in the church at Philippi. And as he writes this letter, he's been teaching them what it means to live a life worthy of the gospel out there in the world, in here as a church family, no matter what. No matter what response you get out there, no matter what the interactions are in here, living a life worthy of the gospel no matter what. That's been the call that he's been giving them. And as we've been walking through, we've been hearing that, and he's phrased that in a couple of different ways, and he's talked about what that needs to look like. But now he continues this letter by mentioning two men. He's going to mention their names. He's going to talk about each of them. These two men are good examples of what he's been talking about. Now, we saw last week that Jesus is the example. He is the standard. He is the example. But these two men are an example. A good example of what it looks like to follow Jesus in these ways. And so he holds up these two men. And the reason he does it is because they are men that the Philippians knew. They're men that they had served with and learned from and interacted with and and lived alongside. They're men that they knew well. And so that means that this teaching, now connected to the examples of some men that they knew well, this teaching now takes on a, a new and personal meaning. The lights start to come on. It starts to to make sense in their hearts and their minds as they say, oh, that's what you mean. That's how we're supposed to live like this. This is starting to make sense. So look with me, if you will, as we continue with Paul's letter here. And we're going to just look this morning for a few moments at these examples that Paul holds up, examples of what he's been teaching so far in his letter to them. So we're, we're picking up in Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. And the first person that, that he holds up is, is the man with a humble heart. And his name is Timothy. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Why would Paul mention here that he is sending someone to the church in Philippi? Why would he send someone from where he's being imprisoned, probably Rome? Why is he sending someone well we've seen at the beginning that this is a church that is relatively young in terms of their following jesus they are seeing the persecution that paul is facing his arrests now he's imprisoned he's got a trial coming and they don't know where that's going to end for paul and they're afraid for him they're also afraid for themselves we're preaching the same gospel paul's in jail for preaching so what's going to happen to us where is this headed And so Paul is writing to comfort them, to encourage them, and to call them to walk with Jesus no matter what. And now he says, I'm going to send someone to you. Why? So that they can hear from Paul how he's doing. So that they can hear some encouragement from Paul. But so that that messenger can come back 
and give Paul information on how they're doing. And so then they'll both be updated and encouraged. So that's why he would send someone. The question isn't why would he send someone. That makes sense to us. But the question is why would he send Timothy, his right-hand man, of the believers gathered around that that he had interacted with and access to at that point in Rome, uh, why would he send Timothy? You would think Timothy's the guy he's going to keep right here to help him. But instead, he says, no, I'm launching Timothy out to come and see you. And the reason is, he says here in verse 20, is because I have no one else like him. He He is just different. He stands out from all the believers here. Because the believers around here, he says, they focus on their own interests, not those of Christ. They're wrapped up in what's happening to me. They're wrapped up in what do I need? What do I need to do? And that kind of thing. They're not focused on the interests of Christ. But Timothy, Tim is genuinely concerned for you. As one writer says, Tim has enlarged his heart and broadened his horizons to embrace and share the burdens of others. Timothy is different. Now, so often we focus on our own needs, don't we? Our own interests, our own concerns. And sometimes we do that. We get so focused inward that we do that to the exclusion of the good of other people. And we're not worried about what's going on with them. We're so focused on what's happening with me. And in a world then and in a world today, of selfishness and self-promotion and self-seeking, we really have to look, really have to look in order to find a man like Timothy. You see, Timothy, we're told here, and we see throughout Scripture as we see his interaction in Acts with the churches and we see Paul's interaction with him and references to him throughout his letters, we see that Timothy is a man with a shepherd's heart. He is truly concerned for what they know. Why? Because they need to know it. He's truly concerned for how they live. Why? Because we need to live it. But he is also truly, genuinely concerned for, and how are you doing? How are you doing? He cares for them. He cares for them. If you have spent any kind of time at all in the hospital, or if a family member has, or in a nursing home or something, you know the difference, don't you, between a nurse that's just at work and a nurse that truly cares. Doesn't it make all the difference in the world? Paul says, I could have sent any one of these people here and they would have brought you a message and they would have reported back to me your message back, but they would have been doing a job. And they would have been focused about on themselves the whole time. Instead, he says, I'm sending Timothy. Why? Because Timothy is a humble man who simply loves you and he is concerned for you. And he will do this not out of a sense of duty, but because he loves you. And he wants to come and encourage you and connect with you. And he wants to know how you're doing. Timothy lives the the kind of humility I've been talking about, Paul says. It's not about Timothy, it's about others. And so I want to send him because of the impact that he'll have as a result. He reminds them that Paul and Timothy had been yoked together like a father and son. They'd been teamed up serving the cause of the gospel. He says, you know him. 
You've seen Him in action. You know His heart. You know who He is and how He serves. You know that He has a heart for Jesus. You know that He has a heart for the Gospel. And you, you know that He also has a heart for you. So why would Paul send Timothy to Philippi to, to, to connect with the Philippians? He, he would send Timothy because Paul's greatest joys and sorrows in life and ministry were directly connected to the highs and lows, the ups and downs of his people. The people that he says earlier that he holds in his heart. <laughs> and he wants to know how they're doing. He's concerned for them, so he's going to send someone who shares that burden. Paul is concerned for the glory of God, the good of the gospel, and gospel fruit in their lives. But he also says, I hold you in my heart. I love you, and I care for you. And Timothy does too. So I'm sending him, this humble servant. Today, oh, today, it, it's easy, isn't it? For the gospel to take on an us focus instead of a God focus. It's easy even for our service to take on an us focus instead of a God focus. Paul says, I'm sending Timothy to you. This man who loves you and is concerned for you, he's a humble, faithful servant, and you're going to see that and you know that, and you already know that because of your experience and relationship with him. But Paul is saying this right after he just said, as we saw in chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 last week, he said in this, earlier in this letter, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I'm sending you not someone who looks only to his own interests. I'm sending you someone who lives this out and walks in humility, is, is concerned with the interests of others. I want you to know and see and remember what this looks like. I'm not just talking when I'm calling you to these things. This is how it's to be lived out. So when you think of walking in humility with each other, when you think of esteeming and honoring each other above yourselves, when you think of looking to the interests of others, think of Timothy. Think of Timothy. That's what Paul's saying. Timothy is living this out. And I want you to be reminded as he's right there interacting with you so that when you hear these words and you think of those things, you'll look at Timothy and you'll go, oh, yeah, like that. This is how we're to do that. I want to give you that living example, Paul says. He then moves on, and he gives us another example of, of another man who, as he said in verse 27 of chapter 1, who lives a life worthy of the gospel no matter what. Who is this man? His name is Epaphroditus. And if you're following along on your outline, yes, I checked it four times and I had Janet check it too for spelling because spell check doesn't recognize Epaphroditus. It's not that common a name today. You may have noticed that. But he mentions Epaphroditus, secondly. So let's pick up in verse 25. Here's the next example. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. 
But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Epaphroditus is a man who is unknown to us. We know very little about him. Very little. But he was well known to the Philippians. They knew him, they loved him, and they trusted him. They trusted him enough. They knew him well enough that when it came time for them to collect an offering, to send a gift to help Paul, and to send somebody to carry that all that distance, to deliver that money, and then to stand to serve Paul and to meet his needs, they chose Epaphroditus. They sent him from Philippi to Rome. We're assuming that's where Paul is in in this imprisonment. 800 miles. Now to us, we say 800 miles. Okay, how many hours is that going to take me in the car? Uh, First century, that was like six weeks of travel. Overland, over the sea, you name it. So they had a lot of time here to make that journey. Six weeks. So think about this. They sent him 800 miles to deliver the gift and to serve and minister to Paul. Epaphroditus became ill. But he was ill long enough, long enough, for them to hear back six weeks from someone else that Epaphroditus was ill and for word to get back that how concerned they were. Well, that's 12 weeks. That's, that's three months. This was not a cold. Epaphroditus was ill. He had come with a gift for Paul to meet Paul's needs while Paul was imprisoned. And at this stage in his imprisonment, according to Acts 28, he's in rented quarters. He's in rented quarters. He is under constant guard. He has soldiers with him 24-7. But here's the thing. You were responsible for providing those quarters. You had to pay rent for that property. You were not fed. You were not clothed. You had no medical assistance. All of that had to come from friends, family out there. Paul was in desperate need of some support and some help. And the church in Philippi sent that gift and sent Epaphroditus to help meet that need. While he was there, he became very ill and they're concerned. And now he's concerned that they're concerned. But he became very ill near to death. He was risking his life to serve Christ, to serve the body of Christ, to serve the cause of the gospel. He was a sacrificial man. Paul refers to him with a a number of of, uh, phrases here. He says, he is my brother, my brother. He's my brother in Christ. I love him. I cherish him. He's my brother in Christ. He is my fellow worker. He's here with me. He's serving alongside of me. He he served alongside of me back when I was in Philippi, and now he's serving alongside of me right here while I'm in prison. He's serving alongside of me, and what he's doing is just as important and just as valuable as what I'm doing. We are simply fellow workers together. He is my brother. He's my fellow worker. He's my fellow soldier. Fellow soldier. Chapter 1, verse 27. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, 
so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Epaphroditus, Paul says, is my fellow soldier in the cause of Christ. Arms linked, uh, shields locked, we're standing here marching together. He's my brother, he's my fellow worker, he is my fellow soldier here. He says he's your special Uh, he's special to you, he's your messenger that you've entrusted to send to me, and that makes him special to me as well. You've sent him to minister to my need, and in it all, he is not thinking about himself. He has sacrificed himself for me and to accomplish the mission you sent him, and even now, his burden for you is not that he gets home to his comfy bed, his burden for you is that you are, stop worrying about him. You're stressed because you hear how sick he is, and he's upset because he knows you're upset. That's why he's upset. He just wants to come and calm you and encourage you. It's not about him. It's not about himself. He's a willing sacrifice. He is exposing himself to great risk. People who would come alongside and help prisoners in the first century Roman prison system were often exposing themselves to all kinds of dirt, disease, you name it. If you're going to come and help, you're going to sacrifice to serve here. And there's risk involved. And Epaphroditus was willing to do that. He's exposing himself to great risk to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And this is not Paul slamming the Philippians saying, boy, you guys really left some gaps here. You could have helped me out more. What he's saying is, you're so far away. And you sent this money, and that was great, and that was so necessary. Thank you. But you also sent somebody to help serve and meet the, the physical needs that I have here. Thank you. And he's doing that to, to fulfill that mission that he's been given. So he's commending him for fulfilling the task he's been sent to do. And he says, in that task, he, was, he felt ill. He was so sick, he was to the point of death. Now, just to comment, that illness was not because of sin in Epaphroditus' life. That illness was not the judgment of God. It was not due to a lack of faith. And only if he had more faith, he wouldn't be ill. That's not how that works. He was ill because he was serving in a dirty, risky environment. And he became ill. His healing was not some divine right of all God's people. Healing. Really? Then no believers ever would die, right? I mean, that doesn't work. That's not what we're promised in Scripture. His healing was not some divine right. His healing was then, as all healing even today is, the merciful hand of God. He said, God in His mercy reached down and He spared Epaphroditus. And He he healed him and He restored him. He was distressed that they were distressed. He was concerned that they were concerned because of their relationship with each other. And here he was risking his life in service to Christ and the gospel and Paul. And when we read that, he's risking his life. That's not a reckless thing. That's not a reckless thing. You hear about this guy in Toronto around New Year's? Base jumping downtown Toronto off of a skyscraper condo building. That's stupid. That's just reckless. That's like you land on a truck and everybody goes, well, duh. Like, do you think? That's just reckless. That's not this kind of risk. 
His risk is that he's sacrificing himself, and he's saying this is a dangerous situation, but I'm willing to sacrifice myself here to do what needs to be done in service to God and others. I remember being at a pastor's conference in Chicago once where and John Piper was one of the speakers, and in, in preaching a particular message on the costs of following Christ and serving Christ, he talked about his great frustration in hiring staff, associate pastors, to come and join their team at, at their church in Minneapolis. He said, it's amazing how many times we'd be through these interview processes in my office and we'd be talking. He said, we'd talk about doctrine, we'd talk about the priority of the gospel, we'd talk about uh, experience, we'd talk about job, uh, job description, all that kind of thing. We'd talk about the role, we'd talk about the team. And he said, in the middle of that, it was amazing how many times some guy would look across the desk and say to him, um, well, I, like I've got a family. Is, is it safe here? If you know anything about John Piper, you know that he probably didn't say the next line sitting down. He said, every single time my answer is the same. Is it safe here? We're in downtown Minneapolis. A dangerous, dirty, violent city. Of course it's not safe here. What in the world does being safe have to do with serving Jesus? When did that ever enter the equation? End of interview, next. Is it safe? It's amazing how often we are just desperate to arrive safely at death, isn't it? Think about that. We'll make dumb decisions like, like we'll, we'll base jump off a, an apartment building. But we don't want to go and help somebody if we might catch a disease somewhere in some strange country. Or if, if, it's, if it's dangerous and, and we end up in jail, that kind of thing for preaching Christ. Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 9, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. It's not about safety, it's about service to Jesus. It's not about how long do I survive in this life. It's about how do I walk with him here and now as I head to eternity. And Epaphroditus got that. See, Paul had just been talking to them about humility. He'd also been talking to them about sacrifice and obedience. Back at chapter 2, verse 8, he's just referenced the, the attitude of Jesus. This is the attitude and heart you should have as you interact with each other, he says. Be humble like Jesus who humbled himself to come and be here among us. But not only that, he took the form of a servant and became obedient, how far? All the way to death. Obedient to death. He says, have, have the mind of Christ. Have the mind of Christ. Live a life worthy of the gospel no matter what. No matter what. He says, Epaphroditus is coming home. And I'm sending him along with Timothy, not because the job's done, not because he failed. Receive him with joy and be grateful and celebrate that God has mercifully healed him. Honor him for the way he was willing to simply sacrifice himself to serve God, to serve me, to serve the gospel. Welcome him. We have our own examples today, don't we? Do you read biographies often? You need to read biographies. It's so important for us to, to read biographies and learn from the lives of believers that have gone on in generations before. 
really helpful and encouraging. Things we, we learn about walking with, with God. But read biographies to your children. Help them to hear story after story after story of people who walk with God in different times, in different places, in different settings and situations with different results, but they're walking with God. Read those biographies. Those are good. But don't just camp out there. We need our own living examples, don't we? Absolutely. Absolutely. One of our own examples here at Harold Baptist is one of our dearly loved brothers, missionaries, former pastor, serving in Peru, coming down with a strange and rare form of malaria. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? I remember the night, Saturday night, Steve Todd called me. I know you and Twine are close. He says, you got to pray, brother. Here's what's going on. Remember that? This church, our church in Burlington, churches scattered around, spending a day in prayer, calling out to God. Yeah. Do you remember his attitude and his response in that? This is not about me. We're here to serve. We're here to serve. And if this is the sacrifice God calls in order to bring the gospel to people who desperately need it, we're just here to serve. We need these living examples today. Jesus is the example of humility and service and sacrifice. Timothy and Epaphroditus are an example of humility and sacrifice. Men willing to to live a life worthy of the gospel no matter what. But we need other examples as well. And at times we want to point to to celebrity pastors or or to uh, actors or to, to musicians, our favorite Christian band or whatever. We want to point to people we don't know. That's okay, maybe. Look around Harrow Baptist Church. Look for the living examples you know, you serve with, you've spent years together with, you know them, you know their character, you understand who they are. I'm standing up here this morning, and even with my long-distance glasses off, I can, I can see here this morning a number of men and women who walk with God, who have a heart for God and a heart for others, whose lives are lived in humble and sacrificial service, whether they ever get noticed or not living lives worthy of the gospel in 2019 in Essex County. Look for them. Thank God for them. And then follow in their steps. And point your children to them. Not that they're some idol or some infallible hero, but that they're an example. So that when we read passages with our families, like, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, we say, like that person. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant like yourselves, like, like this woman does. 
Have this mind amongst yourselves and, and let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others like that man does. You know these people. You've seen them, you've talked to them, you've heard them, you've seen them in action. Like that. When we read this, we say, like this. Here's a living example right here amongst us. Right here amongst us. When our children were small, it always did my heart good to see them connecting with adults in the church for a variety of reasons. One is, I knew that the day would quickly come when they may stop thinking that I was the smartest person they knew. (laughs) And that they were going to be facing things. And they were going to be looking for some different input. And I would see them talking to seniors, and I'd see them talking to parents of their friends in the church, and I would say, God, connect them up so that when those days come and they're tired of this voice, those are the people to whom they go because I'm not going to need to be sitting outside the door with my, my ear up to the window. I'm going to be able to trust that person walks with God and my kids are going to get godly advice. Thank you. I mean, that's the way it's supposed to be, isn't it? Point, point your children to followers of Jesus here and now in real life that they know. They're not perfect. They're going to blow it. But they're an example of what it means here and now to strive to, to walk with Jesus and to live a life worthy of the gospel no matter what. No matter what. The world points their kids to singers and athletes and actors and writers and whoever else. We can be guilty of the same thing in the church. Famous preachers and singers and people out there even in the world. Friends, Jesus is the example of a life of humility and sacrifice. We're called to walk like Him. He's planted us around other examples of what it means to live that way. Don't miss, don't miss the lesson that's being lived out right amongst us every single day. May God use us May we encourage each other and build each other up as we live lives worthy of the gospel, lives of humility and sacrifice, no matter what. No matter what. Let's sing together.